Hello. Thank you for listening to the sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allows you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Well, good morning. Good to see each of you here. Glad that you've joined with us. If you have your Bible, if you would please turn with me to the book of Acts. We're going to look at Acts chapter 10 this morning. If you're new or joining us online, my name is Aaron Varner. I have the distinct privilege of being the senior pastor here at West Hill, and it's exciting that you have joined with us, and I'm excited to open the Word and uh, have the Spirit of God use it to penetrate us so that when we leave here or when we're done watching, um, that we are changed, um, not because of what I've said, but because of what we've read in the Word of God, coming from the Word of God and the Spirit of God working in uh, each one of us. Um, this morning, uh, we're going to walk through this um, rather large section of Scripture. Um, it's going to be all of chapter 10, so I'm going to read that. We're going to give an overview of Acts chapter 10 and uh, take some principles from that. This will be a two-part mini-series, okay? So we're in the big book of Acts, un unpacking the book of Acts. And then this week we're going to cover, and next week as well, today's part one. And next week will be part two of um, what I've called Amazed and Criticized. And... Um, Maybe you have felt both of those um, during this past week or these past few weeks. Uh, it is an interesting time for us to live. And uh, we see even in the text here in Acts chapter 10, it was an interesting time for Peter and for this man Cornelius to live as well. So let's do this. If you would, grab your Bible there and let's follow along with me. Acts chapter 10. And I'll start in verse 1 and we'll read all the way through verse 48 this morning. Let me pause before I do that. Last week, I talked about my son and, and uh, his love for snakes. And I kind of threw him under the bus, I think, a little bit. Um, so let me just tell you that Dale Scarborough brought it to my attention. He said, listen, you were throwing Zach underneath the bus for the snake, but I heard that you were chasing a bear with a broom earlier that week, which was true. So I apologize, Zachary. And uh, thanks, Dale, for helping me to see in light what that looks like, a snake or a bear. Mm, okay. All right. So Acts chapter 10, let's dig in. Okay. It says, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror, and he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God, and now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the household about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. 
But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened up and something like a great sheet descended being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And it were all, in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the things were taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent from Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guest. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And Peter entered. Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit another, anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I ask then, why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and he said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, 
not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked him to remain for some days." Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. Again, we pray that you would open it up, remove the walls from our hearts and our minds and from our eyes. May we see you clearly today. Lord, we come as broken and sinful people. Help us not to come pridefully today to your word. Help us to approach your throne humbly. For those of us who have claimed Jesus as Savior, we come boldly too before your throne asking you to do a great work in us today, knowing that you are a God who loves your children very much and knowing that you are Lord of all. And so, Lord, may your spirit do a great work in us today and may you get all the glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. When we look at this um, story, it's actually one of the longest narratives in the book of Acts. Um, we see that actually Dr. Luke gives us a picture of what is going to come in chapter 9. At the ver- last verse, and uh, it was a great section that we were, we were walking through last week about the healing uh, of the two, the healing and then uh, the, the bringing back to life of Dorcas. Um, Verse 43 says that Peter stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Now, a tanner is someone who um, doesn't lay out in the sun and get a tan, okay? That's that's a whole different kind of tanning. But this tanner would use animal parts and animal um, innards and things to tan um, and to protect um, leather and other things. Um, we were just watching a show uh, where people stay out in the wilderness and uh, for a long period of time. And one of the guys was showing the process of tanning, which was really cool. And he was using the brains of an animal that he had caught, which is kind of cool, which then led some discussion in our family if our brains can do that or not. I would not suggest you trying that. Um, The whole purpose of this and what I'm saying is the tanning part and by the sea work together. And so there there is a sense where um, this uh, Simon who is a tanner by the sea, that's going to happen down by the sea because it, it, it requires a lot of yucky stuff. 
okay? Animal guts, all right, different things. And, and the reason where we read at the end of chapter 9 leading to chapter 10, it gives us a preview because this is not something, quote, that a normal Jew would be around and be allowed to be around a lot. And so it's setting the stage for what we read in chapter 10. Again, it kind of helps us see the, the picture and the togetherness of, of how God is working in the lives uh, of the people that we're reading about. And so we come to chapter 10, and we, we see this Cornelius. Um, and so we see that here is a centurion, uh, uh, yeah, a centurion who was known as the Italian cohort. I'm not going to go into great detail. You can do some research. He was in charge of a group of, of soldiers. And during this time, it gives us a description. Dr. Luke helps us to see he is a very well-respected man. And he, even though he is not Jewish, he believes in the God of the Jews. And so he has worshipped the God of the Jews. Um, but we see he doesn't know and understand who Jesus is. I remember walking through my ordination and one of the questions that came up at my ordination was, what do, you, what do you believe about those people who live far away who never get to hear about Jesus? Are they going to hell? Or are they going to heaven? And I remember walking through that. And then I remember walking through this text in my own, my own study a couple years later. I believe... This is my belief, and this text helps form that belief that if someone is pursuing the God of creation as they see evidence, Romans 1 tells us there is evidence for all of mankind that there is a God and that he is creator and that deep within our, each one of our heart and soul is the desire to know that creator. God sometimes allows mankind to give in to his flesh and and he gives over, gives them over to that lust. I believe that if there is someone who sees that there is a true and living God, that God will provide a way for them to see their need for Jesus. I am not God, I am not sovereign, and I am not in control of all things. Can God provide a vision? Can he provide a dream? Can he provide someone to come to them, there is no doubt in my mind that God can do anything. I do believe, and this passage reinforces this, that ultimately Jesus Christ is the one who we need to place our faith and trust in in order to have salvation, in order to be forgiven of our sin. It must be a faith in Jesus. To believe that there is a God is not enough. But I believe that if there is someone far away from the gospel message, God will provide a way for them to hear and to see who Jesus is. This is that picture. So here's Cornelius. He's confronted. Um, I, I think we see this isn't where Cornelius is like half asleep in the evening. Um, this is in the middle of the day. And so this isn't like him uh, falling asleep. This is, this is real. This is real action, and this is the real part of the day. He sees a vision of the angel of God who comes to him and gives him a message. That message is to go and to send for Simon. 
And so he sends for him. All right, in uh, verse 8, it says, having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Joppa was roughly about 37 miles south of where they were, um, meaning that if they left roughly an hour after um, um, uh, Cornelius gets the message, um, they will have arrived roughly when Peter describes um, or Dr. Luke describes when Peter gets the message. So it lines up. Again, when you dig in and you start looking at this, for a group of soldiers to make that trip in the time that was needed, um, it would have been rough and, and difficult, but it lines up. And so we see that as now Peter, Dr. Luke gives us Peter's perspective and what's going on for him. So he's, he's praying about the sixth hour, which is roughly 3 p.m., um, and roughly about that time after, between three and four, these three other men are going to show up. And so um, we see Peter, he's praying, he's hungry, um, and he falls into a trance. I'm not going to go deep into this. I don't think this was something mystical, all right? I don't think this is something that we should be searching to do to fall into some kind of trance. Um, I think it was a physical shortcoming of where Peter was. He's exhausted. He is extremely hungry. And, and, and in a sense, he is, he is zoned out. And so in that time, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus comes and appears before him. Um, and so verse 12, it says, all kind, he sees a sheet that comes down, verse 11, and uh, by its four corners, and in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And so imagine this, a huge sheet, right, a, a linen that's laid out and all kinds of animals that are inside of it. Um, and so in those, uh, in that sheet, um, they're alive, all right, and so the, the, the voice that comes to him, and um, if you have a red letter edition of your Bible, you see that these letters are marked red, and that is because the early church um, believed that this was actually Jesus talking with Peter, and so Jesus coming and talking with Peter says, rise, Peter, kill and eat, but Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Um, another word for common would be profane or impure. And so um, it's kind of like we see in the Gospels, Peter's having this dialogue with Jesus, all right? And Jesus uh, ultimately is telling his disciples that he must go to the cross. And Peter stands up and says, no way, you can't do that. I'll die for you. I'll stand up for you. And so there are times where Peter um, can't see the full vision. And just as we, as we live life, we can't see the full vision of what God is desiring. But for not just once, not just twice, but the text tells us that it happened, verse 16, this happened how many times? You, you're allowed to respond back. Three, right? Three times. It takes me back to when Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, comes to Peter and says, do you love me? And Peter's response is, yes, of course I do. 
And he says, feed my sheep. And how many times? Not once, not twice, but three times. Peter needs a confirmation. I don't think this is just a shortcoming of Peter. I think this is a shortcoming of us as mankind. Jesus is making sure that Peter understands this is his will. This is his desire. And so Peter, as he is coming out of this trance, he's perplexed. Verse 17, Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean. Now remember back in Mark, Mark records for us in Mark 7 verse 19 that Jesus had already proclaimed that all food, that all was clean and okay to eat because it wasn't what was outward that defies the body, it's what's inward, it's our heart that defies us, all right? And so it's it's not necessarily here what the what the animals of eating, the dietary restrictions, there's something bigger. And that's why I think Peter is perplexed in this as he's walking through trying to figure out what does this mean. And so as he's doing this, he, the men downstairs, the Spirit of God lets him know that there are men coming. And sure enough, there's a knock at the door. The men are there. They, they tell Peter. Uh, Simon Peter, hey, we're here. Will you come with us? So Simon Peter goes with them. The next day they, ra- they raise up. They rose, went, to, went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. So, so here's Simon Peter with some of the Jewish, his Jewish brothers who are going with them. Uh, they entered Caesarea, verse 24. On the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them. And he called together all of his relatives and his close friends. So in the time that Cornelius sent these three to go get Simon Peter, Cornelius had gathered all his buddies and all of his, all of his family and said, come on, there's a message that you're going to need to hear. And uh, his, his, his excitement, but his preparation in order to be ready and be prepared for what God had for him to hear. He didn't know what that was at this point. It was a mystery to him. And yet he had gathered those who were closest to him to come and to hear what was going to be said. And so Simon Peter, he comes in, uh, and as he approaches him, Cornelius falls before him, and he starts to worship him. And Peter says, whoa, 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 get up. Get up, I'm, I'm just a man too. All right, and so when we look at the apostles, we need to continue to remember and anybody who is used by God, that they are just men and women. And so Peter makes it very clear, hey, don't worship me. It's not about me. I'm just a man just like you. And, but he says, hey, tell me your story. And so Cornelius tells him the story um, because he wants to know why you sent for me. And Cornelius tells the story. Remember, Peter's already kind of heard the story from these three others, and he kind of, I, I believe, he wants to see if that story lines up. And so as that story lines up, then Peter opens his mouth in verse 34, and he says um, what he says, the message that he brings. And so he says this, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. We see this throughout the Gospels, but we also see it in the book of James. Um, in the early part of James, when James is writing about partiality and the importance, um, the early apostles, as they are going to spread the gospel message, 
one of the things that God clearly laid before them was that there was to be no partiality. I'm going to come back on that in just a minute, but it's an important aspect of what Peter, what is happening with Peter. Because Peter has already shared with them, I'm not really supposed to be in your house. As a Jew, I'm not supposed to be associating in your house with unclean, uncommon people, the Gentiles. Again, we'll come back to that in a moment. Let's keep going. But in every nation, verse 35, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. This is not talking about deeds equals salvation or good works equals salvation. All right. Those who are in any nation who are desiring to know God as they seek him, he will reveal it. That's what he is explaining, because ultimately Peter walks through the story of Jesus in a very brief way. And as he's walking through that story, he comes to the conclusion. And at the conclusion, he says to this, verse 42, about the apostles and his role. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that Jesus, that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness. So he's saying, listen, all the Old Testament that you may have been reading, all the prophets, all of that leads to Jesus. The prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in Jesus, in him, receives what? Forgiveness of sins through his Name. It's only through the name and the blood of Jesus Christ. It's because of what Jesus Christ did. It's by believing in who he is. The world sees that as ridiculous. To the Jews, it is a stumbling block to believe that Jesus is the Christ. But for those of us who know who Jesus is and who have trusted in Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, we know it to be life. And it changes us. It transforms us. Now while this is going on, the Spirit of God descends upon them. All right? Upon these Gentiles. And it becomes very evident to Simon Peter's Jewish brothers who are there. They're observing that the Spirit of God has descended upon these Gentiles. Because they begin speaking in tongues. Again, different dialects. I don't think this is just gerbil or gerberish or whatever that's called. All the thing that you can't understand. Maybe I'm thinking germs, but I don't mean germs. Gibberish. Thank you, Susan. Gibberish. It wasn't that. There's an understanding of knowing what they're saying. All right. The disciples uh, or these, these followers are following and, and understanding what they're saying. And they're like, wow, this is amazing. And so in that, um, Peter says, hey, is there anything that should prevent them from being baptized? And there was no opposition. And so they were baptized. Some have argued and said, some of the beliefs today, that you, in order to have the spirit of God, you must be baptized first. This is a passage that clearly tells us you don't have to be baptized in order to have the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God descended upon them before they were baptized. And so it gives us evidence as we believe and trust in Jesus, it is clear 
that as the gospel moves from just Jerusalem and continues to go throughout the world, that, that as people trust in Christ, that helper, the Holy Spirit, descends upon them. So they ask Peter, Simon Peter, to stay with them for some days. We'll get to the chapter 11 next week, and we're going to review part of chapter 10 because the story connects. Here's what, what are some of our takeaways today. The first is we need to see the fullness of the gospel. The fullness of the gospel is shared in this text in this chapter, we see what the gospel message is all about, and we see the heart of God. Um, and that is, it is meant for all of mankind. I believe we do a great disservice to the gospel message when we elevate ourselves as being more important. In that, I believe there are times where we put our American hat on and our patriotism and we elevate that and we think we are, our rights and our privileges are more important than the gospel message. I know I may get in trouble a little bit for that, that statement and that comment. Let me clearly tell you, I believe the word of God and I believe this passage clearly speaks for us. You and I as American citizens, do not deserve to be saved. Just because we're American doesn't, doesn't mean a thing when it comes to the gospel message. Because we are not God's chosen people. The Jewish nation is, was, and will continue to be God's people. The amazing part of the gospel message as we read this text is that God would allow you and me and Cornelius and his family that he would allow us to hear the gospel message and to be able to place our faith and trust in Jesus and to be forgiven of our sin. That's amazing. But so often we come to the text and we think that it's because we're American or because we're good people or because we've grown up in this way that we have these rights and privileges. No, what we deserve is death and separation from the God who created us because we're not part of the Jewish nation. But God, in his great mercy, in his wonderful grace, has extended the gospel message to us as Gentiles. We don't deserve the gospel, but God has extended it to us. A simple way to say is, you know those animals that are running around on that sheet that are unclean? That's you and me. And the other thing, if you take note of the passage, that sheet, where, what happens to it? When it goes away with all those animals, where does it ascend to? The scriptures tell us that it ascends to heaven. We don't deserve the gospel message, but it's been presented to us. And it's ours to accept. And God has grafted us in, as Paul writes in the book of Romans, he's grafted us in as his children. Do not do not be so arrogant to think that because 
you grew up in some place or that you are who you are, that you deserve the grace of God. When we look at the gospel message and the fullness of it, the beauty is it is all about God's grace and his love, which then demands obedience. So many people look at the gospel message and they say, well, that gives me freedom and liberty. Yes, but not to live as you desire and how you want. What we see here is Peter is trusting the spirit of God to direct him and to guide him. And he wants to be obedient to that, to that spirit of God. And that same spirit, and we've been talking about this, that same spirit resides in you and me. And we are called to be obedient to his word and to the spirit of God. And the gospel message demands that we are obedient, that we aren't called to do our own thing or to find our own comfort. And in fact, the gospel message I'm going to step on my little platform here. The gospel message is not one of comfort. Read your Bible. What does the gospel message call us to? The gospel message calls us to suffering. So why do we walk around and we say, well, it's been a great day today because I got to do everything I wanted to do. Because it was easy. We're prone to do that, and I'm prone to do that. But then I put myself as the Lord of my life instead of the gospel message which says, hey, Aaron, I'm calling you to rejection. I'm calling you to persecution. I'm calling you to suffering. But we don't want that. But that's the fullness of the gospel. Because the fullness of the gospel says you don't deserve it, but I'm going to give it to you. And if you accept it, you need to understand that this isn't just a simple, easy, good life. This is going to be hard and it's going to be difficult, but I'm going to be there with you and I'm going to help you. I will never leave you and I will give you everything that you need. And so in the lowest valley, in the hardest, most difficult times, in those challenges of the suffering and the doubt, when you fail to be able to reason through something, I will be there to help you because you're my child. That's part of the gospel message. What we also see here is courage, the courage to share and to explain. Peter has enough courage to not only be obedient, but to go. He goes and he explains. And I know some of you are sitting here and saying, um, I'm not so sure I can do that. Well, people, listen, God has placed you here. And if you have accepted the gospel message, Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of your life, he wants you to share. And it's, it's not only through our words, it is also through how we live. But it isn't just how we live, it is also through our words. And I believe that God will give us courage. And we need to pray for courage. Just as God reached out to Joshua after he was to take over for Moses, and he said, be strong and courageous, for I am with you. That same God is with you and I, and we need to stand courageously in a day and a time where we see clear evidence that the world needs hope, that the world needs to hear the gospel message. We need to have courage to be able to share and to explain and to say, here is the hope that I have. Here is the hope for the world that God has extended and is found in his son, Jesus Christ. 
purge, to share, and to explain. Another aspect of the fullness of the gospel is the sovereignty of God. It's a big term, and I continue to use it, and I continue to hold on to it because it's so important in my life right now. I believe that God is sovereign, and he is in control of all things. And so I can go to bed at night and try not to worry. Am I perfect? No. Are there things that I don't like? You betcha. There are things that are going to probably take place this week that I may not agree with, that I might not like. But can I believe that the gospel story shares with me that not only is God good, but he is always sovereign and in control? There's no doubt. Look at this Cornelius and how God blesses him and his family and they are able to hear the gospel message Their lives are radically transformed and changed because God is sovereign, because God answers prayer. Peter was praying. Cornelius is praying. Look at the text. Read it. They're both praying, and God answers their prayers. He listens to them. Jesus is the Christ. Do you believe him? Do you believe that Jesus came to this earth, he lived a perfect and sinless life, and he died on the cross for your sin. For all the wretched things that we have done, all of our sin and disobedience, Jesus put on himself, and he hung on a cross, and he died, taking our payment, taking our punishment amongst himself. He didn't stay dead, he conquered death. God rose him from the dead, to be Lord and King, to be the judge, the text tells us here, to be the judge over the living and the dead. And when the judge comes, when Jesus comes back, which the scriptures tell us he will return, and when he does, he will judge the living and the dead. And ultimately, it boils down to one thing. Is your name written in the book of life? The only way your name can be written there is by the lamb's blood. And the only way that that can happen is if you place your faith in Jesus Christ. So this morning, I want to encourage you, if you've never trusted Jesus, today is the day. Today, you can have the hope of all of eternity, of being in heaven with him forever. It's not through your good works. You can't be good enough. It's not by giving enough money, giving enough time. It's only by the blood of Jesus. It's trusting in the name of Jesus Christ that he is the Messiah and that he is Lord. And for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, see the fullness of the gospel today. Because ultimately it should give us peace and comfort and hope. Stop trying to dictate the gospel according to your terms. It doesn't work. In fact, it's very flawed. But the real gospel message, there are no flaws. It's awesome. And it extends to all. Let's live that way. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you. Thank you even though the Gentiles at that time were seen as profane and impure. 
Lord, you brought the hope of the gospel message to them. And we see even our hearts and our lives, if we're truly honest, we are profane and impure people. Not deserving of the forgiveness of our sin. Not deserving of your love and your mercy and your grace. But thank you, Lord, for the way that you have extended it to us. It is a free gift. We deserve death, but you've given us a free gift of eternal life. And it's found in Jesus Christ. So I pray this morning, if there's someone that has not yet trusted Jesus as their Savior, that they will do that. They'll right now claim Jesus as their Savior and Lord, that they would confess that they're a sinner, that they would admit that they have fallen short of your perfect standard. They would believe that Jesus Christ died for them in their place. Admitting that they can't They can't reach the perfect standard, but claiming Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection as their own. Thank you for the hope of the gospel, Lord. Thank you for the fullness of the gospel. It it spans beyond just um, who we are, male or female, women, children, Men, old men, young men. It spans beyond ethnicities and regions of this world. The gospel message and the fullness of it extends to all. Lord, your word tells us that you are desiring that none would perish, but that all would come to you. Lord, help us in our shortcomings and our nearsightedness. Forgive us for being so selfish. There are lives for eternity on the line. And so, Lord, may we be obedient as your spirit leads us. May we have the courage, Lord, to boldly, lovingly proclaim and explain the gospel message to those who we come in contact with. And may you open the hearts of those who hear it so that more may experience the fullness of the gospel message. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.